Welcome back into Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. I'm Thomas Schultz, joined alongside by Brad Klein, and we welcome in our special guest, Damon Amendolara, the host of the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio from 6 to 10 every weekday morning, and of course, our leader here at Orange Fizz, joining us on the show. And DA, we're going to talk about our top five finally released of our SU Top 100 list of athletes all time here. In your opinion, is this the top five of the right order of Gary Gate? And then Floyd Little, Carmelo Anthony, and then Ernie Davis, followed by Jim Brown at number one. So I think it's inarguable that Jim Brown has to be number one. I just don't know how you could possibly make a case really for anybody else because Jim Brown is arguably the greatest football player in professional football history. And when he was at Syracuse, he was a dominant force that helped destroy so many opponents in so many big ways and so many big games. He was unstoppable in college and still has that lore about him 60 years later on campus that from a simple football perspective, you could say he's the greatest football player that Syracuse has ever produced or ever wore the orange. And then you add on what an elite lacrosse player he was and then the anecdotes about what he did on the basketball court as well And I just don't know how you could possibly top somebody that is that great at all of those things. I think where you can start making debates is the rest of that top five. And I thought the Carmelo Anthony ranking at three was really interesting because we're basing this all on one season. And that one season's brilliant. And that one season delivers a national championship. And that one season... As the Post alludes to, Jim Beheim said, hands down, he's the best player in America. But is one season of Carmelo greater than four seasons of Dave Bing or seasons of Derek Coleman or four seasons of Pearl Washington? That's a tough one for me. And I think it's understandable to put Carmelo in the top five. But I looked at Gary Gate and I wrote the Gary Gate Post. And I really dug into Gary Gate's legacy. Gary Gate is a two-time award winner for the best player in college lacrosse, basically the Heisman Trophy lacrosse he won twice. He was the best player in a team that won three consecutive national championships. He held the single-season goals record for like 30 years in NCAA history and still holds the single-season Syracuse goals record. For four years, Gary Gate is the greatest lacrosse player of all time and might still be and deliver all of that at Syracuse is one season of Carmelo better than four seasons of Gary Gate at that level. Again, I don't think so. And I think that a Gary Gate might be above everybody besides Jim Brown, because isn't that resume better than Ernie Davis or Floyd Little? I mean, Ernie Davis, of course, went the Heisman, but is it four years where he's the best player in football basically is what we're talking about. Is it the equivalent of two Heismans? Of course, lacrosse is different than football. Fewer schools certainly played back in the 80s. But while I think Jim Brown's not debatable at one, I think you could make an argument that the other four can slot a lot of different ways. Well, DA, one thing that Mello did over Gary Gate was win a national championship as a freshman. And I know Gary Gate was fantastic for Syracuse for four years, won the national titles, plural. But on the other hand, you have to ask, hey, what if, what would Melo have been as a sophomore, junior, and senior? 
and to win it as a freshman is unprecedented. But you did write the Gary Gate piece, fantastic piece. Go check it out, orangefizz.net. And I just want to ask you, because Gary Gate is so much more than the rings. He's so much more than the numbers. And I know that you know what I'm alluding to. It's Eric Gate. You described his career as a tour de force. What did you mean by that? Well, when you really, like I said, dig into Gary Gate's career, he basically changes lacrosse. And him and his brother, Paul Gate, come here, come to Syracuse from Victoria, British Columbia. And so there's a little bit of an unknown. In Canada, box lacrosse is a pretty popular sport. And in the United States in the late 80s, mid 80s, when they arrive on campus, lacrosse is a very niche, very regionalized sport. It's still pretty niche and regionalized, but back then even more so. So the Gates come here from across the country and almost immediately put their stamp on the program. They go to the final four in year number one. And Gary Gates, just as a freshman, already really difficult to, to defend. And you're seeing this kind of vision that he has on the, on the field and just what an athlete he is in playing lacrosse. And then he does something that nobody's ever done in lacrosse is basically have the greatest three-year run ever. It's a sophomore, junior, and senior, as I alluded to. They win three consecutive national championships. Their final season is arguably the greatest college lacrosse team ever, the 1990 team. He wins two most outstanding player of the year awards. He sets an all-time record. And he has what I think is the only signature move in lacrosse history. Yep. You know, you have Michael's tongue wagging and you have, you know, LeBron's swat and block in the finals. You have Tom Brady's two-minute drill. But in lacrosse, here is a signature move, which is the air gate. And he has this bravado to pull off something that really still doesn't seem even possible. If you know college lacrosse, there's a circle around the net. You can't step inside that circle. And as, and there's fair play, there's fair field behind the goal. He takes the ball behind the goal. And as the goal is looking forward out to the rest of the field, because of course he didn't have to worry about scoring from behind him. Gary Gate takes the ball in his, in his stick, leaps from the outside of the circle behind the net and scoops it behind the goalie's head into the net, calling it the air gate. And it still defies logic that you could do it because nobody still does that. And he does that in a tournament game at uh, Syracuse's Carrier Dome to help beat Penn en route to a national championship. And people were just in awe of it. Like, what was that? What did we just see? And he pulls this off again during his career, and it just becomes immortalized. I mean, he's on posters. I mean, imagine a lacrosse poster that says Eric Gate in every dorm room, you know, on the SU campus and all across central New York. And in lacrosse, again, it was a superhero was playing college lacrosse. So that lore about him is very Jim Brown-esque, that there were things that people still talk about, like, were you there when this happened? That makes Gary Gate just an all-time legend. Damon Amendolar, the host of the DA show on CBS Sports Radio from 6 to 10 every weekday morning, joins us here on Fizz Radio. And of course, if you miss any part of this interview, you can check it out anywhere you get podcasts, whether that's SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, and also on our website at Orange Fizz. DA, Floyd Little, he has more receiving yards, rushing yards, and touchdowns than Ernie Davis and Jim Brown. I know both of those guys, Jim Brown, maybe the best athlete of all time. Ernie Davis, a Heisman Award winner. Should they be ranked higher than Floyd Little just because of their legacy, or should those statistics have more of an impact? I think you have to weigh the statistics 
And I thought an interesting part of this, the rankings that we did, which I loved, was that everybody had a slightly different set of reasons they voted for guys, you know, in where they did, and the women, of course, as well. And I liked that. I liked that some of us on staff said, all you can use is what they did at Syracuse. That's it. Once they left Syracuse, it was like they didn't exist anymore. Others said, well, this was the start of a great career, so shouldn't we factor that in to how great they were as an athlete? For me, I kept coming back to something which I felt a little uncomfortable about. I thought that as a ranking system, we really valued football and basketball far more than all of the other sports. And as I went through it, and this was my own bias as well, I said, boy, the dominance in women's lacrosse, you know, what one of the female players would have done, the equivalent in men's lacrosse would have put her 30 spots higher. The dominance that we've seen, you know, in other sports like track and field or uh, field, field hockey, that type of dominance in a men's sport, specifically football, basketball, would have launched them higher. And I said, did we do this right? Because isn't it just what you could have accomplished via your peers? So I say that because I think Floyd Little's stats do matter. I think it does matter that for those years, he was that productive. Again, you can't put him higher than Jim Brown, even though he has better stats because Brown's dominance was in multiple sports and that he's essentially the barometer of greatness within the university. But in terms of Ernie Davis, if you want to say Ernie Davis's peak was higher because of a Heisman, but that the production of Floyd Little is better, I think, yeah, there's a debate to be had there. I think there's an argument. Now, it's an interesting conversation. Ernie Davis has the natty, but you know, I'm just leaving it at that. Uh, going back to Carmelo Anthony, it's no surprise that he's the highest rated basketball player on the list. I think to me that he was rated there because more than Dave Bing, more than Derek Coleman, because he, he carried his team singular more than the other players did. Do you think that's the case uh, compared to the rest of the top five? I mean, did he carry Syracuse basketball more than Floyd Little or or even Gary Gate carried Syracuse lacrosse or football? It's a good question. I think so, because basketball lends itself to one player being that dominant and having that much of a role in your winning and losing. There's only five guys on the floor. When it comes to football, I mean, think about it. As great as Jim Brown or Floyd Littler or Ernie Davis are, they need the guys blocking, and they need an entire offense, 10 other guys in offense. They need a defense to hold down the opposing team. There's so much that a singular football player can't accomplish, no matter how great he is. I mean, look at Barry Sanders and so many others that, if, how, as great as they are, they can't necessarily elevate their team to anything more than what they can do. So I do think it's fair to say Carmelo could carry his team to a championship where the other guys couldn't because the sport lends itself to one guy being able to do we're joined by Damon Amendolara. He's, of course, the leader at Orange Fizz and the host of the DA show on CBS Sports Radio from 6 to 10 every weekday morning. DA, I know Jim Brown. Of course, he's the number one athlete here at Syracuse all time. Is he the best athlete of any American all time? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I consider him the greatest professional football player ever. I think he's the greatest NFL player ever. Now there's a short list of guys, Lawrence Taylor, Joe Montana, Tom Brady, that you could say are the greatest of all time. 
I think Jim Brown topped them. And I say that because Jim Brown had only nine seasons in the NFL and obliterated all rushing records. And when he left the game, I think it was the 1965 season, 66, somewhere around there, he holds the all-time leading rushing record for another 20 years. So it wasn't like the next guy came around and beat him. He does that in nine seasons. He also plays a style of football in 1961, say, at his peak, that I think would still translate today. I think he's one of those rare guys that you put him on a football field today, he's still carrying tacklers, running around the end. He's faster than most linebackers. He's stronger than most defensive players. I just, I tend to believe that Jim Brown was way ahead of his time. Had he played another five years, could have put the Russian record out of reach and could still do it today. So in that way, I do think there's a case to be made that he's the greatest college football player ever because we were seeing that type of production from him on the college football field. It was just a much shorter timeline. I don't know if he's the greatest athlete, though, ever, because how do you say the greatest lacrosse player that dominates or the greatest basketball player or women's basketball player is is not as great as what Jim Brown accomplishes there. You know, you look at some of the players like in UConn women's basketball history. They win four straight national championships. There's a couple of classes. They win, they go to four consecutive All-America teams. They set records. And, you know, in that, in that realm, that you could argue is the greatest of all time in terms of any athlete. But in terms of Jim Brown in his sport, I think, yes, you can make the argument he is the greatest collegiate football player and professional football player ever. Well, D.A., it's a good thing that you didn't say definitively that Jim Brown is the best American athlete of all time, because I don't know if you know this, but Bo Jackson is an avid listener of the program. <laughs> so he was, I, I was going to get a call. I'm, I'm sure Bo Jackson's going to call and say, hey, you know, this guy, D.A., he's got to go. I mean, what, what are we yeah, talking about here? He's out of but, his uh, I want to get this in. You know, we're talking about the D1 Council recommending an extra year of eligibility for athletes in the fall, whether they play or not. And they're also talking about moving fall championships to the spring with the COVID-19 pandemic. It seems like a lot to figure out. Syracuse football's first game is in three weeks. Do you think we're going to start on time? Slash, are we even going to have a fall season? I don't think we're going to start on time. I think that they're really going to try to get this fall season in, and it might be an abridged season. It might end up being a short-circuited season. I don't think it's realistic to expect college football to move ahead and play football games in three weeks with what we've seen happen on campuses, with people testing positive, kids testing positive, and then campuses being shut down like UNC and Notre Dame. And that's, that's the biggest difference between college and the NFL. It's not that you can't test regularly for these players. It's not that you even can't keep the players negative. I think you can. The difference is in the NFL, you've negotiated the CBA. And so it's if this thing happens, then we just do this and we work around. And the players are supposed to be cordoned off from the rest of society doing their own thing. And if they don't, they're penalized, et cetera. In college football, you cannot, under this archaic system, separate student-athletes from students. So if you shut down Notre Dame's campus because there's 300 outbreaks for UNCs, you can't keep your football team on campus to practice. And thus, you can't play Saturday against Wake Forest. 
So I don't think we'll be far enough along in this a month from now to start football. But I do think they're going to be hell-bent on trying to start this at some point in time and get some games in. Maybe that's four games. Maybe that's three games. Maybe that's one game and they go, we can't do this anymore. I think we're going to see college football games played in the fall, but I don't think it's going to be in three weeks from now. And the big thing is, can they get rapid testing? Because if this rapid testing happens in the next, let's say, eight weeks, two months, six to eight weeks, then on campus, you hypothetically have a cheap test that you can take and then immediately get back a response, a result in two to three hours. Well, now you can really control what is happening on your campus, removing people, removing kids, separating the athletes from dangerous situations. If you're waiting a day or two for your results and they're expensive, certain schools can't do it, what have you, you're really playing with fire. But if we get rapid testing in, then I do think it's doable, although I think it's more likely that these conferences, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 go, we're going to try it, but we're also going to stand by for spring football because one thing I don't think we're going to see is no football played for this season. I don't think we're going to totally erase this season. I think they'll desperately try to get some games in somewhere in the spring semester, even if it's January or February. It'll be really interesting to see what happens, of course, at Syracuse, where we have all your content covered at Orange Fizz or nationally as well, as you mentioned, DA, with the SEC, Big 12, and the ACC. And you can catch all of that on DA's show. He's the host of the DA show at CBS Radio from 6 to 10 every weekday morning. DA, thanks for joining us.